Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Colleen Ordonia, Vice President, Account Management Group, Private Sector, Elserve Corporation. And Elserve was founded in 1996 to provide quality service contracting and other human resource services to government and private institutions in various industries nationwide. Colleen brings over 15 years of experience in account management, operations, business development, sales, and marketing, plus manages over a thousand employees. So I've asked her to join us here today to share her insights on how she does it with such grace. So Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you Thank you. I love that intro to manage things with such grace. Takes a lot of willpower, but true. We try to manage every day with grace. That's the only thing that keeps us going. A lot of people, first off, when a company of a thousand plus people, not everybody rises to the top. And even those that do rise to the top, not everybody gets to stay there, right? Not everybody is staying power. That's worth acknowledgement as well. But before we get into your background in biz dev and sales and marketing and managing people, I wanted to ask, how did you even get started? Do you come from a family of business owners and entrepreneurs or? Actually, no, it's a little different. I come from a family that would, it's two phases. Most are in business of engineering or they're professionals like doctors. On the other side, we have like artists, We have lawmakers, we have, I do have historical roots as far as people that have influenced Philippine history, like writers. Mm -hmm. So I'm very surprised tracing my family tree at that. And where I fit in is actually a little fluke because I'm the first in the family that ever considered a different take on a course, like in college interests Mm -hmm. and also a path in terms of career that is not normal, but I think it has really just allowed me more opportunities to explore and what to do. My parents were unfortunately not into, while they appreciate education, they were artists. My dad was an artist. He was a little hippie. He eventually dropped out of college. He said, because I got bored with my teachers Mm -hmm. because he was so intellectually advanced in terms of arts and sciences. So he just decided to pave a different path. My mom had a different inkling about what she wanted. She always wanted to be, you know what? I just want a family. I want to be a housewife. So that was her direction in life. And not all family circumstances are positive. And I'm very proud to say that I managed through education and my schooling until college because I was a sponsored student. Somebody sponsored my education from kinder until I finished my college degree. And I had the freedom to choose on what school, what course, and I had no demands on like any scholarship. If you're under a scholarship program, right, you have to keep up with your grades, et cetera. Or once you finish your degree, you have to give back and work for that particular company or for that particular person. I never had that. It was more for just allowing me that opportunity for education. And that really changed my mindset on how I went to school, on why I was studying harder or for who was I doing it for. And I was not born with a silver spoon, unfortunately. I didn't have a lot of networks to get into jobs after college. There was no such thing. So I was a working student also. I decided to take on a side job for a hotel, one of the top hotels here in the Philippines, the Manila Hotel. And was offered by accident if I had spare time in college, which normally when you're on your third year, you have an hour or two in spare. So I just decided to, why not, volunteer my time. And they would pay me with food, like one meal. And to me, that was like, great. You, great. you feed me and I get that to learn. so smart. You volunteered. I learn. Yeah. Yes. I love That's that. That's a lot. Yeah. You learn. I am so wear like a professional uniform. You see those, those suits in black. So it was something that I didn't expect. That was a turning point for me to open doors in the hospitality sector. So you might be wondering, I'm in outsourcing, but I started everything with hospitality because the reason why that my advisor then in college asked me if I had time, I was EIC, 
editor-in-chief of our college paper. So that hotel at the time was in transition and they needed people to help them with their marketing, PR materials, mm. writing, editing, everything. So instead of getting like an on-job trainee, so my advisor, he used to work with that particular hotel, but she retired. She said, if you have free time, maybe this would be like a good experience for you. It's going to, your writing skills that are within the college, you can use that into the real world. So to me, it was more of, okay, let's gain some experience. Let's see on how that's going to do. So I just really wanted to try. I was a pretty fearless student, maybe because I know that the only thing that I have to lose is not trying. And then I had all of the encouragement from some people, but I had a lot of discouragement. I saw a lot of difficulties because I couldn't cope with what society had and the school that I was in. I was very fortunate to get into a very good school as well. Peer pressure, everyone was wearing the signature clothes and stuff. And I was just coming in plain. And like aunts that lived in the States that would give me all of those signature items. So at least I could, I really felt that I fit in. So going back, I would spend three days a week at that hotel, writing, editing, and I think I gave that hotel a good amount of savings because yeah. I was working, literally yeah. working and banging out press materials, reviewing everything, supporting the PR manager. And I fell in love with it. I'm like, wow, public relations is something that's very cool. And I also got the chance to be borrowed by the sales and marketing head mm-hmm. for as an EA, an executive assistant for a few days. Just imagine, I didn't have any idea how do you, how is it that you have to do a job of an executive assistant? And then you're in an office, you're dealing with real life situations, primarily language, even at home. And for some reason, they all said, hey, you could do this long term if you wanted. So it was a short stint. It was like three months, but they invited me again. Would you want to come back over the summer where it's longer period? So I would have four days of four hours a week, and I ended up doing projects for them, writing to companies for solicitations, because that hotel was really the it hotel for events, like Easter celebrations for children. They would have giveaways, and it was so tiring, but so fun. But I also got exposed to the politics of work. You had to deal with different people. And... I realized that I had a keen sense of observation that I could identify if this person was somebody that I should call ma'am or address as ma'am out of habit, how they were carrying themselves, what they were wearing, how they were walking, who were they walking with, who was talking more and not talking more. And being thrust into that kind of environment really just allowed me to experiment because I wasn't an employee, so I they couldn't tell me that, hey, what you're doing is wrong. But all they could do was give me the guidance and then allow me that kind of leeway. So that was my introduction. And I said to myself that, you know what, working for a hotel is cool. But my course that I took, which was interdisciplinary studies, I majored in French, which I'm supposed to be fluent. I wanted to be a diplomat. It was okay, I want to be a diplomat, but I also want to work in hotels. So I used all of my diplomatic subjects of understanding courtesies, of how to deal with people and manage with people, that it could be an anchor for my PR career. When I graduated, I was telling myself, maybe I could go on a break, a vacation, maybe. Unfortunately, I wasn't born into a well-off family, though my relatives were well-off, but my family per se wasn't. And I'm the eldest, so I had a lot of pressure on myself to work immediately and try it out. So as usual, you send out your resume, all hotels possibly. So I said, okay, I'll send my resume to hotels that are maybe 30 minutes from my house, because I was still very impressionable that I would commute to make sure that they would get me into a PR job, a public relations job as an admin Mm -hmm. assistant, as a secretary, I said, that's the entry level, because when you're at that position, you have access to so many things. And I said to myself, once you have access to a lot of information and things, then maybe from there, I could determine on what kind of job I wanted to do, because I couldn't even apply for the foreign service exam to take it, because I had a proficiency gap. You need to be proficient Uh, in certain things. Right. So I, I said, okay, 
I have to have a backup plan. And I was so pressured to kick off a career, find a job and come into, because everyone was wearing that suit. And working in a hotel, you see the black suit, you have pin, your hair pin back. And I said to myself, you know what? I want to be able to come to work looking like that. And it doesn't matter if I walk in heels so far. I just want to... They do it all day, every day in Tokyo. Those yeah, I don't know how I, those I little women do it. <laughs> yeah, I want to look the part. And... There was also some pressure because the school that I came from at the time, now it's a very good school. There was a negative impression about the school that I graduated from in college, uh, but because it was a fairly new school. But mm. I had to prove to myself that, hey, products from this school were also great because I didn't just come from that school. I was, I was very fortunate to study from grade school to high school in a private school, all girls, and they really pushed us to be empowered women, speak our mind. In high school, we had debate classes. We were exposed to a lot of things. I think now in K-12, they were starting, you were having extra classes. In my school, which is St. Scholastica's College, Manila, as early as that, in 1990 to 1994, we were given elective classes to prepare us for college. college. So we had a choice. We had a choice between arts, sciences, math, engineering, and any of those auxiliary subjects that you want to excel in, computer programming, if you wanted to. That's cool. So we were very encouraged, and we were exposed also to politics, to go to Congress, to observe. And that was really how I think I survived through college. Because yeah. the first time I have a male classmate, mm. I didn't know how to interact with guys, sitting with them the whole time. Though we would have like interaction classes when we were in high school, but it's different if you sit with them. You build platonic relationships or something else. And I think how I was shaped from grade school to high school allowed me to flourish in college. So I did get my first job immediately, three months after graduation, as a public relations assistant. That's a dignified way of saying secretary, but yeah. I, wow, I was a public Secretary relations. with a purpose. Secretary with a purpose. Yeah, secretary with a purpose, because I was supporting the entire public relations department. Mm. All documents coming in, yeah. I was answering the phone, I would take on meetings, I would attend meetings with my boss. So even if I was just like a fly on the wall, the fact that I was invited to that meeting, I felt very important. And my boss, you know what? God bless her. She was so generous. She really trained me. She didn't treat me differently. She didn't treat me like I was just a secretary because to her, you could be a public relations officer because that was the next step. Mm -hmm. You could be a public relations manager. You could be anybody. And she wasn't after my school background. She didn't care if I graduated from this particular college. Right. She didn't care about that. All she wanted was to do your job well. Right. And how can I help you? So from there, I really enjoyed my time working in a five-star hotel. It was Holiday in Manila along UN Avenue. I stayed there for the first few years of my career. But I didn't just stay as a public relations assistant. During the time, I decided to get married very early, and I had a child very early, and everybody was very supportive. You know what? It's an environment that young mothers and impressionable people could start their career. But of course, succumbing through pressures, I had to take a break mm -hmm. from working just to see if I could manage being just a full-time mom, but continue on my writing. Mm -hmm. I never stopped writing. I would write freelance I would edit papers and documents for my dad and from other people. And I would charge them a bit for that. Yep. At the end of the day, you do want some independence and you want your own money. Yeah. The internet is just booming at the time. Everybody yep. was just like starting off with your dial-ups and all. So I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't just stuck doing one thing. I because still, I was the... Being the eldest in the family, even if I had a family of my own, I had a sense of responsibility to take care of my own family, my parents and my two other siblings who were younger than me. Yep. Yeah. But you know what? I think being housewife was not my thing. After six months of staying at home, my former office called me. One of the managers who used to be an HR manager, but now he was promoted to general manager, said, you know, Colleen, I need you. I need a reliable executive assistant. So that's, whoa, executive assistant from public relations assistant to an executive assistant. 
And that's a manager level. Mm. It was an entry level manager position that not a lot of people would consider because you're a secretary to the general manager, but well, you're think, talking. <laughs> I think you really demonstrated, like for some people listening here, there's some great stuff, like you volunteered your time in the beginning. Like I've been taking notes. I, I know I've sipped my coffee and stuff. I love some of the lessons that come from your story. So I also have spent a ton of time. I spent, I did an eight month program where it was full-time volunteering in the community, different, like any community event we were involved. We had volunteer full-time jobs that changed every three months, evenings and weekends. We got no, Sunday was our only rest day. Other than that, it was like from wake up to bedtime, we were go, I lived with 10 other kids. It was a Canadian program called Katinovic. So the volunteering your time to get experience is such a smart move. It just gives, it gets you in, you added value to the company before you asked for anything, said, Hey, can I help? And that is the foundation of business. Like good business is about solving problems for people and helping others. And you were just like, Hey, can I just help you and figure out where I, you didn't even necessarily say it, but essentially you said, Hey, can I help you and provide some value and figure out how I fit in? And that's exactly what happened. And so I wrote down that you added value first. What success is when preparation, success happens when preparation meets opportunity. I wrote that down because you had been writing like for the school newsletter. And then you had this opportunity in the hotel where you just were there all the time. And then what are you good at? And your skill set, almost a magnet pulled you in that direction. You showed initiative that is so lost in a lot of, in a lot of people these days. I think I, I know this in the generation now, or okay, I'd like to correct myself. It's not the generation. I think it's the time and the season, the period mm-hmm. we're in, like we're, everyone is exposed to saying, if I do something, what do I get in return? It has to be a concrete thing. It has to match to what my idea of what I should receive. At that point, to be honest, Daryl, when I decided to try to work for free or volunteer my time, I never had that pressure from my parents to be somebody. So I had a free canvas on what to do. And they would think that, hey, if nobody was motivating you for something, how do you motivate yourself when you're trying to navigate through the world? Hey, I had great teachers. Mm -hmm. I had um, friends. I, I was a member of certain clubs that I didn't think that I could do. I had people that encouraged me to do something, even if I had no idea of doing and I just tried to. And to me, I had nothing to lose. As I said, I didn't come from a prominent family, though I have a very unique name, which initially I thought it was such a disadvantage because how do you spell your name? Colleen, Colleen, how do you pronounce it even? But to me, at the end of the day, the fact that my name is unique, you can remember me. So it's just also, I think, where you're, you place yourself. And they say that when you have an opportunity at one point in your life and then you miss it, is it going to come back to you? I firmly believe if something is really meant for you, it's going to come back to you in a different way or form until the point that you recognize it. Yeah. But if you don't recognize it, does that mean that you fail? No. Maybe you've just made a decision for yourself to do something different. Right. But You have to be ready for whatever consequence that will come from. I think fear is such a great motivation for you to do something. (laughs) Fear. Yes. Because I knew that I had nothing and I was, the only pressure that I received was I need to support my family. And that's a big thing. Nothing was ever explicit to me. It was never said that, hey, you need to do something. But I just felt it. I think every firstborn has that in them, most firstborns. There's a sense of, you know what, I can sacrifice more because I need to be this. Or they say that all firstborns are unique because there's something in them that's why they were first. And I never, I also felt the pressure with the people that were supporting me and that were encouraging me that they saw something in me to do good. And when they would scold me or correct me, it would be, this is what you did do wrong, but this is something maybe you could do or you could have done. Not because that they did it, but because, hey, you did this, but maybe if you did this, and I could relate myself to that. I mm. always had that safety net as well that I could approach anybody. And in the hotel environment, to be honest, you are exposed to a lot of things. When I was working in the public relations department on my first two months, to be honest, they gave us a project and then we had to work with other departments. And you, it doesn't matter if you're like two months old. They say the fact that you're working in the hotel, you're carrying the brand stands for 
service, hospitality, caring for people, making sure that we give people the experience. So that told me, so I'm not new. I'm part of this brand. So this is my brand too. And eventually along the way, I just had to figure out which of those good qualities really represent me and I resonate with and I can take on as my brand as well. Yeah, give so, you a sense of ownership. True. Also, my sense of identity on who I was. Am I really speaking well? Because do I speak well because English is my primary language or because I have something to say? Mm-hmm. Is speaking really my strength or it's not speaking, it's communicating. Mm-hmm. Because when you communicate, it's not just verbal, it's right. also by action, by deeds. I really thought that I would retire in the hospitality industry. I stayed on for about seven years, the first seven years of my career. And coming back as an executive assistant really paved the way for me. I am so fortunate, Daryl. I've never had a bad boss in my life. That is fantastic. Never. I've never had or a bad boss that really traumatized me. Never. I, I hear some of my friends say that, you know what, my boss is like this and that. And I'm like, wow, I'm so blessed. I've never had a bad boss but in my life. Part of that might also be, because from your story, it seems like you develop a proficient level of emotional intelligence and people skills. That was something that you really went into detail on when you were working at the hospital, that you learned different types of people and how to communicate with them. And that may be part of it. If you have two people that don't have emotional intelligence in a room, there's going to be conflict. But even if the boss is lacking in emotional intelligence, if you have a high degree of it, it helps them be a better communicator. And so that may be part, that may be something you haven't realized. Based on our research, like I spent $50,000 researching business success. I've had my own track record, help people make millions and stuff in the past. And during the pandemic, we actually tried to dive into it. And emotional intelligence is one of the factors of success, at least as an individual, like self-efficacy. And that's, and what's included in that is self-awareness and emotional intelligence. Things, yes. Yeah. I think we all have come to a, a point of, a tipping point of maturity. And you need to know on when that happened. I, I am aware on when my tipping point of entry into maturity happened. I was 12. It happens because of it happened because of a very traumatic experience happened in my family. But I realized that I had to just I was 12, but I was thinking 16. Unconsciously, I was doing that. And I saw the world differently. And looking back at it, I missed a portion of my childhood, to be honest, the things that people do. But I realized that I wouldn't change that because that Mm. just made me have, I think I relived a bit of my childhood when I turned 40. I was able to do more things that I didn't get to do before because I was more comfortable with myself. Mm-hmm. And you're correct. Most of my the bosses that I worked for have very high emotional intelligence. But when they told me about where they started from humble beginnings yep. to yep. where they are now, and I was just so thankful that I knew when to push and when to pull They also put a lot of trust to expose me and share their life experiences with me. And there are some things that up to now, like bosses that I've had, like in my early 20s, that they shared with me things that I I will hold on to my grave because it's something that, hey, I don't think that they do share those things. Mm. And also at the point when I've worked for both in foreign and local bosses, I think that's my advantage. I was never afraid to talk to anybody and Mm. also that I would ask questions Mm. and sometimes they would get so irritated that you're asking too much I said I need to know because I don't know everything I don't I just don't know everything and some people think that when your name has a position under you should not ask questions but not in the position you can't say that you don't know anything up to now i ask questions that's why i have a team that's why i work with a team because i need to be with people that know more than me so that i can learn reciprocally and then they can learn from me too if i were the genius then why would i be sweating on a lot of stuff there's no such thing there's no such thing and working for hotels was really tough we would have We'd work six days a week. We've had an experience where I worked 21 days straight with no day offs because of the occupancy of the hotel. Aside from that, just because of how volatile the industry was, we went through a period of letting go of a lot of people. And at the point, 
I even had a moment of I feared for my life when I was working in the hotel as an executive assistant to the general manager because we had to let go of people because of SARS. There was like that was the first wave. It was like the low version of COVID. Um, occupancy was at twelve percent. How can a five star hotel survive at twelve percent? Right. And then you right. have so many people. So we had to for low a couple of people and the union didn't like that so they were right. picketing and my boss would say you have to be careful because you're yeah. with the executive office they might just yeah, pick you up and i'm like that's extreme like, no because they could do anything so then my boss then exposed me to the art of a different kind of negotiation yes i would debate i would speak well in, in my high school days but Negotiating on a collective bargaining agreement, that's something that really, I think, inspired me or laid the foundation on how now I review a lot of our contracts, how I look at discussions, how I look at talking to executives or clients mm-hmm. when they you know, share certain situations and scenarios. I use that, that motion in my mind on how discussing with the union about their rights, their coverages, their privileges, what is the scenario? What is justifiable and what is not justifiable? What is circumstantial or not? Can you maybe um, share a little bit? Like, what are you doing now? You've talked a lot about the hotels, but maybe for yes. listeners, what, what are you doing now? Right now, what I do is I manage an operational team that deals with client requirements. So we start off with negotiating for contingent staffing. So that's business dev and sales. So I had a team that has a business dev sales arm, and then the other side is the operational arm that translates Mm -hmm. any contracts that are negotiated. So we present services and analyze the requirement of a particular client based on industry. So we do a lot of R&D and research. So that includes hotels. So anything that I've done in the hospitality industry or how I look at it, I've applied it to logistics, property management, how I engage when I was working with hotels with guests and my bosses, I would use that to speak to procurement managers, sales managers, HR managers, general managers as well. So it's more of how to complement the service and what you need and then price it properly so that we both win-win. So that's what I do. And the thing is, I support my team to review all of these commercial terms because you don't just sign on the fine print you have to read on everything small small story i read this is just something i read yesterday so all of us have had the issue where you open up a bank account or you apply for a loan or even you download an app and they give you this massive list of terms of terms and conditions apparently i don't know if this was in the states or some other western country but apparently this guy opened up a line of credit and they sent him all the contracts and he went and he added some terms and conditions and signed them and sent it back to the bank and they never checked it and they signed the document and he ended up rank and I'm not endorsing this behavior, but it's just funny because he ended up running up his line of credit and then he wasn't able to pay it or something and they tried to collect from him, but he pointed yes. to the, and they actually, he took him to court and won because he had added terms of the contract that they never yes. read and they just signed it. And it was like, he got them with the things they sometimes get us with because we don't always Correct. read the details. And that's just, I just want to mention that because you're just saying, I tell my team to to read. So it just, yeah, I thought that was. Yeah. And I think reading anything that falls on your desk, that's also what I was doing when I was a public relations assistant. Mm -hmm. When I was volunteering my time, I had to read something first before I had to write about it. Mm -hmm. I had to read something and then research before I write something about it. And then from there, use that. And when I was a public relations assistant to an executive assistant, anything that comes on my desk before it, even if it says to the general manager, right. I have to proofread it. Right. And even down to the, I'm sorry, you need to correct this because there's wrong spelling, missing coma, missing that. And yep. you're talking about the director of sales. You're talking about the finance, you know, you're talking about yep. executive, executive yep. committee members. And you have to tell, I'm sorry, the boss will not sign that because you have yep. a missing margin. The paper is yep. dirty. Please reprint. Yep. And they're yep. like, wow, you're strict. Yeah, but you, that's part of what helped you succeed. So you mentioned that your success is that you work with a team. And I think te- success is a team sport. So how do you yeah. approach <clears throat> team training and development to help these people improve? Yeah. But one thing is when a company has its own training plan and pathing, that's great. But if you're coming in, you make sure that you try to, I've always encouraged one-on-one coaching or training, or even if, or I don't want to call it training. I just want to call it mentoring and having that quality time individually. 
Because at the end of the day, you also set a general standard for everyone, but you make sure that this is not the standard that they need to be. Because we, example, English proficiency is not for everybody. But understanding what someone is saying, now that's a skill that you can't teach a lot of people. So I make sure that, number one, to assess on where they are and what they can do and cannot do. And I try to identify immediately what are their best skills. So their best skills are what I would anchor on to support their improvement areas. Normally, people call it weakness. I try to not use the term. I want to use areas for improvement. I call it areas for improvement so that you change the negative into a positive. It doesn't mean that you're weak, that you can't do it. It's just that you need something else. So it's an improvement area. Next is when I try to correct somebody, I go as far as explaining the reason why that this works, it's because of this. But this could work for a different scenario that they've either encountered or they will encounter in their job. I also try to put people in certain situations like how I was put in. Example, their job is one, two, three, four, five. I just, I add a sixth item for them to do and see how they respond to it. If they think that this is not part of my job, or if they ask, ma'am, how do I do this? I hate that. When people are like, this isn't part of my job. I'm like, oh, then you need to go find a new job because everybody here works for sales and customer success. That's everybody here works for that. I don't need any monkey button pushers. The monkey button pushing jobs are all taken. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that so much because people, yeah, sorry. I almost went on a rip, but that is just, for me, that's just such a red flag that this person is not growth minded. They are not trying because I, all my staff and forgive me, but all my staff, we try to have a profit sharing program and incentives. So that way there's incentive to, to perform at your best. So that's why whenever somebody says, oh, this isn't my job, I understand if you haven't been trained and I understand if it's a new, I fully understand all those, but that, that this isn't my job. The company's job is to get the work done. So everyone gets paid. The customers are happy and we all get to live our lives outside of work. That's your job is helping that happen. ah, Sorry that you just hit me with something. (laughs) Yeah. I think I do appreciate the honesty if somebody tells me, you know what, this is not my job. Then I have to explain to them the reason why that this is actually part of your job because it is related to to things that you're doing. And there's a running joke. Did you check your contract that on the last line that says, and all other tasks as required? (laughs) If that line is there, if that line is there, it could be anything. And truth be told, I also had a period in my life when I was working for another, a small local hotel group that they asked me to do something. And for the first time in my life, I said, but that's not part of my job. But you know what? You need help. And I know I could deliver it, but you did approach me first. But now you're giving me a very short lead time to do it. I'm going to make the impossible possible. And to be honest, I had that mindset, the back of everything that I do. I try to make the impossible possible. Yeah, I love that. Because I don't think that any something is, a lot of people may not agree with me. All things are possible to be done. If you look at it in different perspective, if you look at it in one way, oh, definitely it's not going to be done. But if you break it down into something, maybe you could get something done just to get the end result. It might not be what you wanted, but at least it's something close to it to achieve what you want to happen. So when I try to train my team, as much as I want to do both, I want to have a formal setting when I could have a plan, when I could have a reference, but there has to be something that I give to them as a reference point. It can't just be all verbal for them to take note of. I think that's one of the mistakes that I've also learned in the past that I was so used to just giving direction, instruction, coaching, and guidance that I forgot that, hey, the person that I'm talking to may not be at the same level of understanding or appreciation. It's understanding and appreciation. Somebody Mm -hmm. can understand and just, and they'll do well. But when the person understands and appreciates, then they apply it to other things that they're doing. And then you see them when they talk to other people in their team or other teams, you see that semblance of, hey, they're listening, they're analyzing. And then I could see that, hey, that's something that we do. So I'm so proud when I see that transcending or translating to how they're doing it in their day-to-day work. And 
I would always tell them that point A to point B is not point A to point B all the time because you have a different way of doing things. As long as you don't, this is the process. Hit all the marks. It could be all in Tagalog or in the vernacular. Hit all the marks. But if you do a shortcut to something, you have to tell me why. Because maybe for certain situations, it could work. Yeah, so it might even be better. It could be. You have to work smart. Work smart and hard at the same time. So you provide the structure for them. I was I would always tell my team, this is the sandbox that you play in. I gave you all the parameters. Stay within the parameters. It doesn't have to be one, two, three, four, five. You can go one, five, ten. Mm. As long as it's in the parameter. Mm. But if you feel that you're about to go outside of the parameter, you have to give me a heads up. Why? Right. I need right. to provide you that safety net. That's one thing that I also tell my team. I'm all accountable for you. Yep. I yeah. gave this talk to them last Friday. Your success is your success. My success is your success. I, that's my tagline. Your gap, my your tagline. gap is my gap. Yeah. My gap is my gap. Yeah. Yeah. So anything that they do, and they also represent me in as much as I represent them. Because at the end of the day, I attend meetings on their behalf too. Yeah. Because everything is like overlapping, right? So at yeah. that point... I'm not coming in as Colleen Ordonia, the vice president. I'm coming in as Colleen Ordonia, your account manager. So I tell them you have to wear different hats. Another thing that I also try to teach my team is when you come in a corporation or a company, you build professional relationships, then friendships. But the pitfall is they think that they've built friendships first before professional relationships. And sometimes the friendship part influences on how they actually conduct right. their professional relationships, especially if they have succeeded or if they have been promoted, then they have to treat the other person, their friend, as their subordinate. So I have to give them that kind of balance. And it's also a matter of preparation. You don't just promote somebody on a whim. You promote somebody because you try to groom them. So you see, and I've seen that here in my nine years here in LSERV, I have managers right now that I'm very proud when I joined, they were HR assistants. And I had an early interaction with them and I could see how they were going on with their day, how they would talk to people and you would try to involve them, ask for their help so that they see that, hey, you're part of the success. And now they're like senior account officers. They're are, are there specific skills or behaviors that you believe are important for staff? Like specific yes. things that are, yeah. Yes. Number one is they need to have a sense of self and confidence in themselves. That's mm -hmm. one. Second is that they're open to training, to correction, and to mentoring. Actually, I put correction first. Correction, training, and mentoring. Because if somebody is not open to being corrected, then you'll never learn. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then next is integrity. You need to have at least integrity for yourself on the values that you stand for. Because if you know what you stand for, then you can bring something extra to the table. And then the last one is that I noticed that I want to know your secondary skill. Maybe your secondary skill is what's that would be your acumen in the long run because no one is just stuck in one path. I think not everybody should just do one thing in their life. Everyone, everyone needs to be interested in other things as well. So I also look at how they treat other people because values, attitudes, that's very hard to find. Skills you can train. But in fact, the reason why that you're good at something is because you're interested in it. Right, you're passionate. Right, it. Right, May it right. be your motivations. It could make money. I could make money out of it. But still, you need to spend time with it, right? Yeah. And the last thing would be if they need to be honest about certain yeah. things. I can't do this. I need help. Or I'm having a difficult time. And in fact, in the Filipino culture in general, that's something that's still very challenging. They are so afraid to ask for help. They're afraid to admit that they need help. They can't do it. So what they'll do is they'll pull in all their time to try to work it out. And then when it's really like exploding, you're already at the end, at the end of your leash. That's the only time they try to escalate it. But my role is to observe. Because I know them, I can sense their body language change. I can sense if you know something's not going great if they're having a bad day. So it could be personal or professional. And I also prepare my team. Before we go into meetings, there's like a 10-minute preparation. From the office, if we go to a client office, I prepare them. Okay, we're going to a meeting. So we're talking to this person. She's. I will do my research. 
And then they would pick it up. Okay, we're going to a meeting, but we already know who we're talking to, what's their background, where did they come from? I'm like Googling and checking because I tell them I need to know how to talk to them. Because if we don't know how to talk to them, we'll never get our point across. Yes. We'll never yes. get our point across. Yes. yes. And that's something that I think not a lot of people do. It's like, Colleen, you're stalking that person. No, I just want to <laughs> how to so maybe, maybe I am. It depends how you look at it. But it's with good intention. Yeah. Come on, Daryl. I go as far as example. It's a client. Oh, example, Ericsson, the telco company. Okay, so I come in. And then the building is in BGC. Okay, BGC, that's come semi-professional, nothing too casual. No that's one. That's <laughs> one. Next is, yeah, exactly. Or please keep it simple, keep it easy. So I really tell my team, I, and as far as coordinating what to wear, because that's very important. And I also tell them once we're waiting in the lobby, in the reception area, please avoid small talk about certain things. Sit down, observe people that come in and out because that executive assistant, that secretary there is telling somebody inside, you know what, this person is like, still. You never know. Come into meetings, I always tell them where to sit because I tell them the reason why that you're sitting here is because you need to observe who is doing what Mm -hmm. and watch out for for those things that are not said. Power dynamics in a boardroom. Yes, exactly. I don't know. I think it's also something that's not done in school. I learned all of this because we were prepared when I was in high school in St. Scholastica's College. We were taught very early how to present your calling card, how to dress, what to wear, how to sit. When you're in a meeting and you're just observing, where do you put your hands? How do you, what do you wear? What do you write? And all of those standard things that I think are lost in translation now. So mm-hmm. it's not being very anal about it, but no, it's also being to conduct themselves. So that's the thing. We like to bring in people to events and meetings, but we don't prepare them. So how do they act? Because they're representing the brand. They're representing you. And then after the meeting in the car, we try to recap on, okay, you know what? These things involve them in the discussion. And I remember the first deal that I closed for LServe. It was just me and the service assistant, the driver. When I got out of the building, I told the driver, oh my gosh, we just closed the deal. Congratulations to us. And he was like, what did shocked. I do? But he's part said, of it. Yeah. I said, if you didn't bring me to this meeting, I wouldn't right. close the deal. So we closed right. this deal. Right. So we did it together. That's a different mindset, I think, because coming from hospitality, everybody's doing it. Training is also a constant thing and you need to be able to be trainable yourself. And I'm very surprised that some of the people in my team are a little afraid if I ask clarifications and things. They think that when you ask questions about how they presented it, that it's wrong. I said, something's wrong. I want to understand. But you know what? I'm also at fault. I need to be able to adjust my tone. Also, Mm. the words that I use, how I say it, my body language as well. And while we keep a professional relationship here in the office, I can't help but also be the motherly lead because I look at... And it's also business is about outcomes at the end of the day. This is about relationships too. Whatever it is that takes to put them into a comfortable place. But you also know when to stop because there is a period of the honeymoon, the training period is over. Training is ongoing, but it should level up. If training is still going back to basics, what's the point? Because subconsciously, I think this is something that I also have to start doing. I need to be able to have a mental note in myself that for a certain group of people, the training should be this portion already. Or bring them into, you know what, I have to have a face. I need to face everybody right now and help them imagine, okay, now you're this position, but you're actually doing part of the job of this particular position. Maybe that's something that you can do in the future if you want to. But never force anyone. But sometimes when you're given a position or given a task, you do it. So you need to have the boldness also to do it, even if you're unsure about it. I never thought, to be honest, that I would reach this position title. I never had the plan. I never had the goal because I was raised that way. No, Nobody told me, you know what, clean, you need to be a vice president. You need to be this and that. No, I just wanted to have a good job to be able to earn, to be happy, to learn, to contribute, to be relevant, to be significant, and to belong. And the last part is to be able to 
have a voice to finally do something. I'm such an idealist, but I, I just want to give back. I think that's the best way for me to give back to the sponsor that funded my education. Really, they didn't ask anything in return. They yeah. just wanted me to be the best and do the best that I can do. So if I could do that, and the funny thing is people think that I come from a well-off family and all, but when I tell them that this, they're like, what? I say, so you can't judge people. Oh. And I get judged all the time. Like when I joined LSERVE about nine years ago, coming from, because I came from hospitality, I was just speaking in English and nobody was talking to me. They were like so afraid to talk to me because the language is mixed at Filipino and English, but I was just always speaking in English. Then I had to learn. And I'm very thankful that I came into this company. I'm, I speak more Tagalog now, even with clients. I'm more comfortable, though people think that I'm still unapproachable, but still you develop a sense of community. Also, you need to be very resilient even if there's so many things that are happening right now and develop a coping mechanism. That's also one thing. I try to provide a safe space for my team. That's my personal personal thrust because I understand what they're going through and maybe they're not comfortable to tell me, but I'm very observant. So I try to go beyond what I know how to take care of them. Like we would have pizza sessions or I have this thing that I started. I'm stressed. So if I tell them, you know what, I'm stressed. And that's my, I think my flaw also. I'm very open to my team because I need to tell them where I am, if I'm in a good headspace or if the day is going well or not. Right. Because you don't want them to feel that you're picking on them or you're angry at them. And yeah. I explain to them, I'm human. So right now I'm not feeling great, but that doesn't mean that you're doing bad. Right. So they also adjust. But sometimes I set it aside. So going back, I tell them that, I'm stressed. Let's order food. And food is the ultimate equalizer. It changes <laughs> me because food doesn't get mad at you. Food will just love you. Also, maybe food builds community. And together. Maybe, maybe that would be the answer to somebody that's feeling down and can't express it. But once you get that break, oh, let's eat together. Then it creates that break of a day. And maybe that's just the only thing that's going well for them on that day. Now, am I buying their affection or love? I don't know. No, but no. That's something but we've done. I'm thanking them for, hey, we're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. And let's just take a break. Well, it's, take a it's sharing time. It's, you know, if your hands are full, they, there's no room to receive. Silence Correct. is as much music as noise is. And I've recently Correct. changed from, I've been working as I've my business, my company, we've been 100% work from home remote since 2014, 2015. Mm. But I've recently been pivoting to be a hybrid model where two days a week we're in person because there's just some things you can't do remotely. And we provide Correct. lunch on those days. And we've had breakthroughs just sitting around talking and eating together, just not working, just hanging out, talking, and then an idea comes up or somebody mentions something and we would have a breakthrough because there was Correct. silence. We were just together in silence and sharing facing each other. There's just an unspoken value to that that I think is really important. But it's also something that I would tell them that I would like to thank you really for everything that you do. And to be honest, when I started to your evaluations, when they come in, they're very surprised that, of course, in a team, there's we call hierarchy, right? So down to the top, up to the bottom. I would take the time to really write about that person. I guess I. I have this talent to observation and try to engage with them. And I really cite with them on what specifically they did. I'm blessed with high memory retention. So I really tell them that, you know what, there was this time that you gave me this and I can't forget it. And that's something that really I would try to look back on. And not everybody will write something because it's different when you type it out for formality, but I make sure that it's handwritten by me. So I try to write very well. My handwriting is so poor, but I just make sure that, hey, you're great. I always tell them when I say it, I just don't say things for the sake of saying. I don't believe in that. I don't need to motivate you to lead you on to something that you're not because I will be responsible for that on how you turned out. Yeah. Because I, again, I look back at, all of the people that helped me, that guided me, that supported me, never led me astray. 
they would also tell me when I'm doing really well or really bad, yep. but never to end in the negative. They would always say, you know what? This is your, you need to look back recovery point. You need to step back. Um, also, when things are just overlapping, even if it's not part of what you need to do, I try to take it on because sometimes you can't give people what they can't do. You can't give what you don't right. have. You can't give what you don't have. Yep. Yeah. And there's a breaking point to how far you can give somebody for them to experiment on to try to do. Right. But if you do that, you need to be make you need to be certain that you have something to yep. to counter that at the point. I think just taking time for that and show them that your humanity. They somebody told me I've had a moment when I cried at work and they could see it. I was tearing up, but I was like still straight face trying to work. But you know what? It's just there. And my team was just like, do we ask her if she's okay or not? But they just carried on. And then they asked me and I said, you know what? I'm just having a bad day, et cetera. So they see that, hey, our boss is human too. She has problems. She has issues. She has just like us, but in a different way. But at the end of the day, if I'm having a problem, my boss set aside all of that to help me. So I want to be able to reciprocate to that. And it's also amazing on... I realize that I always tell myself sometimes that I don't think that people are learning anything from me. You feel that comes to a point, but then you see it, you see how they're doing it and you can relate to it. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. So I shouldn't negate myself. I shouldn't say that they're not learning because if I do it consistently, that's the thing. You need to be consistent. If you correct that something, you have to be consistent to correct it. You have to be consistent to follow through. And I did mention, I'm blessed to have a retentive memory. So I know that, hey, this is what I said before. And then I would cite a concrete example, an example to them on what happened that they can apply and what could be done in the future. So I always do that. Or if I don't understand something, I really have to ask them to come over. They also know that I'm very, I really read through the fine print. Even that single number changes everything. And I tell them, especially for our business, you're right. Anything that you correct in that contract and then it's signed, that's it. Yep. That's it. Now you need to have a backup plan and you need to tell. I always remind my team that document everything, especially if it's unusual, if it's not in the norm or tell somebody about it so that you're not the only one that knows about this kind of yes. arrangement. Sometimes we all make decisions, like the members in my team, they are all empowered to make decisions. They make decisions on their own based on the sandbox. But sometimes, I guess, in their desire to help clients, they really just go beyond. So to me, that's a good thing. It means that they're really assessing and using their ability to make a decision. But the thing that they need to do is they know it's something unusual to immediately tell me so that I can create that space for them to assess, hey, this is something that we need to consider, then I'll make it a protocol or make it a policy. But if not, then I have to do the firefighting, which I think they know, which right, is going to right. be very costly. And I tell them that is called service recovery. Service recovery in the hospitality sector is times 10 of a loss. So I give them, I equate it using a monetary value so that they know how much it's worth. Yeah. Ah. Well, yeah. Powerful. So that they know yeah. how much yeah, it's worth. in the ROI. Yeah. 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 You can't do everything correctly at the first run because situations are different and you deal with people. But at least you know that you don't need to spend so much time trying to recover from that. But if it escalates to certain things. Yeah. So it's good to bring in people how you, how you think, you share with them. But at the same time, you also highlight to them on how they think because they're not aware. A lot of people are not aware on what they're good at, how great they are at doing certain things. And it's sad yeah. because when you compliment them, they cringe. They can't yeah, accept they it. They don't know how to, they, I think, again, it's a bit of a failing. The education system was built to produce factory workers more than critical independent thinkers and like thinkers, said, yes and this is something that a lot of people if they don't get it from a sponsor a mentor a parent you know they struggle like positive feedback or negative feedback like Correct. That's, that's part of life and life is a full it's unless you're dying it's a growth process right everything Correct. is growing unless it's dying and so if Correct. you're not improving if you're not growing you're stagnating and then what 
Colleen, you've given so much good info. I've got two, three pages of notes here. The listeners may want to go back and take some as well. Now, I do want to be respectful of your time, but I wanted to ask you, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, you've asked me like a lot of things, but I think I appreciate you in this conversation because I feel that there's a lot of things on that I forget. Okay, how did I get to this point in my life? And right now, I'm still, I feel that I'm still starting off. I'm not yet at the end point on where I want to be. There's just so many things that are changing in this time. And it's very important to be empathic. Right. I think empathy is of something that's not in everybody, but I would like to believe that, you know, kindness, goodness, and being empathic goes a really long way. Every professional, because I'm, I belong to the old school of trying to work hard and being resilient, but I have great hope for the next generation of leaders, especially here in LSERVE. They're now preparing the way for a different kind of business relationship and engagement. But I just hope that the industries that we service are also ready for that because a lot of the industries that we service for LSERV and even when I was in hotels, they're so stuck in the same mindset of things. But again, it all takes a visionary of a leader for an entire company to pivot and change. And I'm working for a company that's led by our president, Mr. Joseph Angeles, who has been both a visionary and operations manager and a trailblazer in the servicing industry. And I'm very thankful that I think my attitudes and my work acumen complement him. So I have managed to find a place in his team. And I'm already at the point in my career that, you know what, it's time maybe for a different set of mindsets to be able mm. to be the best person that you be learning is constant and i wish that i could also maybe go into further studies that's one thing that i'm hopeful for maybe if i didn't take the fse maybe a masteral would be great to compliment because i'm not a business person per se uh, my course is so far from what i'm doing so it's all learning i would like to acquire that certain technical skill as well that I know that I need to be able to further what I know I can bring to the table moving forward, not just for LSERV, but for the clients that we service. We want to be able to work with them longer, like 10 years, 12 years, 20 years, and LSERV to be like celebrating its 50th anniversary, hopefully, That's and crazy. still be a part of it. Yeah. I think I just want to speak back on a point you talked about empathy being so important. And you mentioned yes. earlier before as well about relationships. And what, you didn't say it specifically, but what I heard was it's not just about the money. And I think that's really important. There's lessons from history and even like Judas got the money, right? When he yes. sold out Jesus, he got the money, but he then he it. couldn't give it back. And he realized that the money was a symbol of something more valuable. And we don't want to chase false outcomes. That, yeah. and still working hard right now. It's the Philippine setting is very difficult, but I do believe in working hard and doing your best even if you think that you're going nowhere it's not you're not going nowhere it's your mindset that's saying that you're not going nowhere right. because you're growing and then you're changing it's just a matter of timing on going at the right seat of the bus while we didn't touch on my career pathing i was already at the point in the middle of my career that i was a manager then i had to change jobs i went back to being an associate I was not afraid from being a manager, a department manager, to go back to an associate. And that hotel, this five-star hotel, didn't want to accept me. They said that, Colleen, you're already a manager. Why are you you're taking overqualified? In? Yeah, you're overqualified. But you know what I said? I said to them, one reason why you should hire me is because you're using a system that I'm proficient in. Because the hotel that I used to that I came from then used this particular system, which they were just using for a few months. I said, I'm certified in this system. You can put me on the floor and make money for you with no problems. Yeah. yeah look at that. Look at that. You have such a high level of emotional intelligence. So, like, you needed it. some, you need somebody, right? So I'm not going to be a pain to my supervisor, to my boss then. And it doesn't matter. And you know what? I enjoyed being an associate. Mm -hmm. I finally had more time for myself. I was able to breathe and then I worked my way up again. So that's the thing that I'm very proud of myself. If I need to step down from whatever pedestal, 
you can. And there's no shame to start over because you don't lose anything. You you keep your work ethic. You bring something fresh to the table, but you just need to be mindful to adjust on who you are. You need to know your position at any point. Your position does not define you. I may be vice president in title, but still, I'm somebody that has to work. Yeah. I, I need to deliver. I need yep. to perform. Yep. Though some people treat me better because of my title, but I tell them, no, everybody has to be treated in the same way, title or no title. Yeah. Ellen, yeah. such great notes, such great input. If people want to talk to you more, if they want to ask you some questions, what are the best ways to get in touch? Oh, they can get in touch with me through my email. That's cl or donna at lserve.com.ph or they can actually send me a message through LinkedIn. So my messages are open as well. So I'm open for that. And you can post out my contact details as well. I can share that with you. Sure, sure. We'll link to your LinkedIn. So that's Colleen, C-O-L-N. L-U-S-P-O-R-D-O-N-A. N-A, Try to search yeah. her up on LinkedIn. Colleen, yeah. thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such an thank awesome, you, Daryl. pleasure. I appreciate you coming and sharing, knowing that you already have your own team to take care of, coming and sharing some knowledge with me and my audience. So thank you. Thank you. Have a great day.